This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 178. And the quote of the day is from Aristotle, who said, For the things we have to learn before we can do them, we learn by doing them. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And if this is your first time checking it out, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And also, hit me up. like Let me know on social if this is your first time listening. I'd love to get to know you. Say hello. Uh, I always respond. So you can shoot me an email or get at me on Twitter or Instagram or any of that stuff. Also... You can catch, I've done over 175 of these interviews, so you can get all of them at drummersresource.com. And while you're there, grab a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations. It's 11 creative exercises to help you improve your chops, your speed, and your independence. That's 100% free over at drummersresource.com. The interview I have today is Juan Carlito Mendoza, and this is a great interview because we, first of all, he's a Jersey guy, and I'm in Jersey now, so it was pretty cool, but also, uh, he was the 2012 Guitar Center Drum Off winner, and the thing, I knew that about him, and I, I know that he's an educator, he does things online, I didn't realize how deep into education he is and what his history was with marching and and DCI and all of that stuff. So really interesting to learn about his background and then his approach to teaching, learning and and then taking things and applying them to the kit and making them musical. So this was a really, really inspiring and a really informative conversation that I have. So without further ado, let's get into it with Carlito. Carlito, what's happening, my man? Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, what's up, Nick? Oh, man, my pleasure, man. It's great to have somebody from New... Well, I'm not from New Jersey, but I live in New Jersey now. So I feel I feel like we have this this brotherhood, which is funny because I'm from Philly, so I grew up like predisitioned to hate Jersey. And then, <laughs> hold on, this is going somewhere good. This isn't going to be bad. And then I moved here and somebody, you know, somebody says something about Jersey and I'm like, what would you say about Jersey? Ah, uh, yeah, I mean... Listen, we got we got a good thing going on over here. We got Mark Giuliano over here. Yeah, we had, I think we have Purdy over here. Bernard Purdy. Bernard lives Purdy here. lives here. And uh, you live time, here. And then one time, uh, Horacio Hernandez used to live here too. Really? Yeah, man, he used to live uh like really close to me, but uh, he was always like out of town, like he was right, in the right. country. So I think he's in Miami now. And there's a lot of guys that are that are from here too. Uh, do you know Michael Caruba? He's from here. No, I don't know. Who he is. Um. And who else? There's some, oh my buddy Dylan Wissing lives here too. So I mean, there's a, we got some we got some people here <laughs> for so, sure, man. I think I mean especially for where I am, you know, one subway stop from New York. So like it's yeah. it's easy to live here and not have to live in Manhattan. So for sure, but we I get think, we get all the perks. What's that? Yeah, all the perks. Yeah. So you've listened to the podcast, you've supported the podcast, which I appreciate, man. Thank you, thank you so much. And now it's it's glad I'm I'm glad to have you here. Um, so let's build a little bit of context for the for the listeners. Let's tell people a little bit about your background, and because I know that there's there's actually not a ton of information out there, like with your bio and all that stuff. So just yeah. fill the listeners in a little bit about like who you are, where you come from, and and sort of how you got into this whole thing. 
Oh, yeah. So um, my name is Juan Carlito Mendoza, and uh, I started when I was around. You say like, Carlito a lot better Carl- than I do. Yeah. Right, you know what? My mom gave me that nickname, so I that's like why it. it stuck. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I grew up uh, doing the traditional thing. I started when I was like four, five years old. Um, I was playing in church, but nothing crazy. Like, like I don't remember coming out of the womb like everyone, you know, gives you that story of playing drums. I just remember just looking at the drummer and go, man, that's pretty cool. I want to do that. So then my mom would give me like uh, back in the day, like shoes used to come with like these plastic like these long plastic sticks and uh she would give them to me and I would just bang on the on the on the bench right next to me and try to mimic everybody that was you know playing um so then they saw interest in that and I'm gonna make this real short so then after uh a couple years I joined the middle school band and uh then I started taking formal lessons with uh this guy John Groner who actually studied with Joe Morello so mm. Yeah, and he went to Manhattan School of Music, all this good stuff, you know? Um, so he started me off with all the Glasgow principles and all that. Like, he started me off in a really good fashion, as opposed to me kind of just learning by myself. Like, he was really diligent with me. So then he gave me lessons for free um, from seventh grade all the way to the end of my high school years. Really? Yeah, because... He was the middle school band director at the district that I – actually, he's, he's still the middle school band director at the district that I work in now. So uh, so we became colleagues now, which is really crazy. But I, I can't hmm. call him by John, though. I still call him Mr. G. Right. And I have that much respect for him. Um, so then, you know, I did that for a while. And then uh, during those years, I did, like, a lot of marching band stuff. So I ended up, like, trying out for drum corps. And uh, I did – I made the cadets uh, when I was like 15 or 16, but uh, I couldn't afford it. Like I, I didn't come up in a, a like a rich family at all. Like mm-hmm. we made ends meet, and my family like sacrificed a lot, and they supported me pretty much with every decision that I wanted to do. So if it was drum corps, if I, if I wanted lessons or whatever, like or if I wanted like like a new drum set, you know, not like a dw or anything crazy right. like that but just like something that to to get me going like they always had some sort of surprise for me which is really cool um so then after that i did uh dca which is drum corps associations i did that for a couple years i won like snare drum individuals um i learned from like robbie robinson who was a dci champion for three years and like all these like amazing amazing drummers um so that kind of shaped me into like the rudimental background first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was going to college for music education at the same time. So I was studying with a guy. Uh, his, he's a doctor now, Dr. Janiscoli, Greg Janiscoli. And um, he was like a marimba virtuoso. Like the guy's just sick. So trying to balance all that at the same time with uh, doing the studies for music education and trying to play out. And trying to keep my drum set chops up, trying to keep the rudimental chops up at the same time was just like a big whirlwind at the time. Sure. So uh, so I kind of sacrificed one thing for another. Like I didn't take drum set studies at, uh, at the university level. I was mm-hmm. just doing classical percussion because 
we had like jazz Nazis out there. Like you couldn't even touch the drum sets, you know? And you know, right. <laughs> I went, I went to school for music. I get it. <laughs> so you get it. So it's like, no, you can't touch my cymbals and blah. I was like, all right, cool, man. I'm totally cool. Um, so nobody really stood at the university and then I was dormant there for the first two years. So it was beautiful. So I would practice whatever I needed to practice. And at like one o'clock in the morning, I'm still practicing, but I was practicing drum set. But nobody knew I was practicing drum set. Mm-hmm. I was kind of keeping that on the low, <laughs> you know. So anyway, so then long story short, I graduated from there in 2004. And then I started uh, doing like the Guitar Center Drum Off competition. Um, and then I eventually won the sucker at uh, 2012. And this is kind of like how everything kind of like sparked up of what's going on now, you know. Mm-hmm. So um so, you know, you get your endorsements and all that, but it's more about um, the platform and doing the most out of, and getting the most out of that platform for that year. So uh, Sure. The one thing that was that's interesting that you said was that you were working on your rudimental chops and you were working on your drum set chops because – and as far as I'm concerned, and you can agree or disagree with me, and I'd love to hear what you say about it, but I think that – you learn your rudiments in the beginning, but then at a certain point that has to go into a musical context on the drum set. But on the other side of things, there's just playing those rudiments like super crisp and pristine and learning all of you, all of these crazy combinations of using them. And I think at some point there's like a split in the road and they go two different directions. Would you agree with that? Man, that's a tough one, man, because I'm writing a book on this stuff now. So um, there are two different thoughts. So okay. the one thought is that, like you said, they're separate entities at some point. But if you really think about it, in my belief, if you really think about this, they're really hand in hand. Like anything that you do on the drum set is a rudiment. doesn't matter what pattern it is. Sure. Like for us, you know, so it's, it's like to me, it was always... It was like, okay, I'm working on something. How can I apply this to the drum set? This all has to be relatable at one certain point, or it's just relatable in general. Mm-hmm. So, let me uh, let me rephrase the question. And well, actually, go ahead, go ahead with what you're going, and then I'll, I'll pose it a different way because I'm sure. Go ahead. So then, like for me, it was always about the approach. It wasn't about the rudiments as a separate thing. It was just about like, okay, how do I approach the rudiments? in a musical way as opposed to this separate entity like i don't think of things as like okay this is independence this is groove this is whatever else i think all that stuff works together so that is the biggest thing but i think the biggest misconception is that rudimental drumming is stiff and it really isn't it's just a matter of your approach so like like back in the day when charlie wilcoxon was writing all this you know 26 swinging solos all that stuff was swinging, man. Yeah, and it's you know? hard. It's really hard. Hell we, yeah, we have hard. this. We have this breakfast club that we get together every. Well, we used to get together every morning, um, and we walk. We work through the whole entire Wilcoxon book, and it is, it's brutal. It's yeah, not, man. It is not an easy book. And dude, like, like all the all the great cats went through that. You know, Philly Joe Jones. You know, and like they're swinging. Like it's it's like a swinging thing. So it's to me, it's not a stiff thing. Like. Anything can be swung, it can be straight, it can be in between. So why not do the same thing with the rudiments? Even if you're working on rudimental solos. Um, and nowadays, like, some of that stuff is really, really hard. Like, they start doing all this grid stuff, and 
and like trying to get all these different combinations. And the way it is now, because there's so much information, like these guys are like eons above what was happening like 20 years ago. Sure. You know, I, the level of people's chops, for lack of a better word, now is like, I mean, watch seeing somebody now versus 20 years ago play. It's just like, I mean, it's like people are like athletes now. Yeah. But you know what? Um, I think there's way too much information out there now. As opposed to like when I was growing up, it was more of uh, like I was watching VHS. So I was watching like Dave Weckl's Back to Basics. So I knew all the licks that Dave Weckl was playing and I really understood what was going on. Right. You know, nowadays it's like somebody will go, hey, you should listen to this album, this album, this album, this album. And you have your iPod and you probably haven't even listened to like half the stuff on there. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like when the 80s or whatever, 80s and 90s, it was like, all right. Here's a new Michelle Camilo CD. I'm like, all right, cool. You listen to everything as a whole and you dissect it as a whole. You know? Mm-hmm. What's that? There's a there's a saying that we're we're drowning in information and we're thirsty for knowledge. Oh my god! But I think people are just greedy right now. It's not even like they're thirsting for it. You know? I think just people feel like they're entitled to everything. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, do you, do you think everybody, younger generations, older generations, what do you think? I think the younger generation, um, I think all of this started really with Napster back in the day, mm-hmm. um, where people were just getting information for free or CDs for free. And now it's to the point where it's like, why do I have to pay for music um, when I can just download it with, on a torrent or I can download it wherever online? Somebody's going to post it on SoundCloud or whatever. So people are like entitled to it and they don't understand or at least value the time that it took to the the time that it took to actually put that project or that video right. out, you know, um, especially now, like like doing it and then just like viewing it on YouTube are two different things. So like when you start editing videos and you start editing your own audio stuff, you get to see what the process is and how much time it actually takes. Dude, these like, podcasts are like. <sighs> Like first of all, like we're gonna do this, and this is before I had like Justin Thomas, my my I call him the producer, but he edits everything for the podcast, and I did it before. He's a wit, I mean, he's amazing, and it still takes him a while. But for me, who's like sort of kind of okay at it, man, it's like it's hours of work, dude. You know, it's a lot, man. And yeah. then and then the audience is always like, when's the next video coming out? And it's like, dude, did you really learn the material that I posted up on YouTube? You know? <laughs> and then I always wonder like, all right, so then post the video so I can check it out, you know? And at least I can give you feedback on it, right. you know? And I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're sort of saying everyone is sort of living in this like disposable society where they're like, they watch the video once at, and it, not even particularly your video anybody's video or song or whatever and they watch it once i go okay that's cool i want the next thing already like i need something else because i'm already done with that exactly. i'm already done with that thing exactly right. and that's what that's what's going on man and and it's an unfortunate thing like when i grew up it wasn't like that it was like all right man michael jackson's thriller came out awesome you listen to that sucker and you anticipated the next album and you knew the next album was going to be amazing it was either going to be better or it was going to be at the same quality and you, you played know? through that record a thousand times until the other record came out exactly and you know like not saying that we didn't have like we, when i was growing up we had drummers that had chops like we had like dave wacko Vinny, dennis chambers um all these guys but they were doing it in a musical way 
as opposed to I think now it's it's starting to become like this Olympic style drumming where it's just like all right man I'm just gonna like throw in as many notes as possible within a measure right and it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me you know so it's like like I don't think people have filters anymore like as far as like or it's just like know how to be musically like tasteful with things mm-hmm. you know and know when to go okay I'm gonna go really in because I can at this point because you know it's just like a vamp going on right but but like when you're playing with other musicians like you have to like be conscious of what's going on and uh I just think there's like there's like a couple epidemics happening you know and mm-hmm. I think the lack of musicality um I think it's 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 a bad thing right now sure in the, in the drum not even just in the drum industry that's it's just in general you know like yeah because like you you'll go to these jam sessions and everybody's playing all over each other and I'm like this is not enjoyable like yeah. at all you know yeah you just so, want to get your dinner and get out of there <laughs> so let me ask you a question then so this is sort of a two-part question one you mentioned about having all of this information out there so we that's the we've we've presented the problem so now let's talk about the solution and and what some people can take away from this so how do you deal with all of the information that's out there how do you take it in decipher it learn from it and then apply it to your drumming so that's sort of the first question and then the second question is i want to i want to talk a little bit about how you suggest people play musically but let's start with the information question i think i think the information question is it depends on what you're trying to study at that moment. Like, for instance, if I was studying, let's say, Latin music, right? Let's say I was, let's be even more specific. Let's say I was uh, studying like timba music, which is from Cuba. I would go, okay, who are the drummers that influence timba? So you go, Changuito, um, Horacio Hernandez, and let's say Daphne Spirito, just to kind of keep it um, simple. So then what I would do is, I wouldn't go for all three approaches at the same time. I would go, okay, who came first? So obviously within those three would be Changuito. So I go, okay, I'm going to study Changuito and see what's going on and see what information I can find out about Changuito. Historical background, um, why he chose to play the patterns that he did um, and how it fits within the ensemble. So what I would do, once I do that, then I go, okay, here are the patterns. I learned the patterns, which is cool, but then you try to you try to come up with your own variations of these patterns because not everything is set in stone with Cuban music. Like, you know, like the clave is set in stone, that's fine. But like all the other patterns, like you have variations on those patterns. So then that's when you go, okay, I learned Changuito's way, but now Daphne Prieto has a different variation than Changuito. And then you go, okay, let me check out Horacio. Horacio has a different approach than Daphnis. But you still see how all this stuff is connected because Changuito came up with the songo and all this, all these variations. So, and you just get to see the evolution. So my thing is try not to get too much information. It's just try mm-hmm. to get like the direct sources and the guys that are doing it really well. And then go, okay, cool. This is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. How can I take all that and kind of put my own spin on that? Mm-hmm. You know? And- I think a lot of people 
will go on to you. And I'm general. I'm not. So if you're listening, I'm not saying this is what I think you would do. I'm saying this is what the majority of people would do. They'll go on YouTube and they'll look up Cuban drumming and it'll be Joe Schmo plays Cuban. And then it's like John Jim plays Cuban. And then this other guy plays Cuban. And then this other guy. And then you're like, okay, all of them sound different. I don't know if they're even correct. And so let me just find more and more and more and more and more rather than, like you said, going to the source of these things. Like people are like, I want to improve my groove. I'm like, all right, well then listen to Steve Gadd, listen to Vinny Caliuta, listen to, you know, Jeff Picaro, listen to James Gadsden. Like don't go, don't go on YouTube and look up some 13 year old kid. That's like, this is the most killerest groove ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like nothing against like the, I, I appreciate that there's a 13-year-old kid on YouTube playing drums. I think that's awesome. I think that's amazing. And I think if you're 13 and you're listening to this or 15 or 20 or 30 or 40, I think you should be putting your drum videos on YouTube. I'm not saying that, but I agree with you that you got to get to the source. Yeah. You know, like find, figure out who who Steve Gadd listened to. Yeah. Figure out who Jeff Picaro listened to. And then whoever they are, find out who they listen to. Yeah, or even if you can't find information on that person, see if you can find information on somebody who studied with that person in particular. Right. You know, um, that I think that's really important. It's just to get the right information out because, man, and this is kind of getting me into like another topic, but like everyone nowadays is an educator, yet mm-hmm. not everybody has the credentials to be an educator. Right? You know what I'm saying? Just so, just because you can speak well. And you you kind of know things. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're a great educator, because educating somebody online is way different than educating somebody in person, one on one. Or let's put it like this: I'm in the classroom every single day. I'm in a middle school classroom, so I get to see hundreds of students every day that have different personalities. And how do you adjust or? How do you get the maximum amount of results from 100 people in a 40-minute period? You know, so that's the way I kind of think of education. It's like, man, there's not one way of doing things. It's not just like right kick, left, you know. And it's like, okay, that's a great way of educating. But I think there has to be more um, when it comes to education as opposed to just, all right, here's a lick, blah, 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 blah. It's like, all right, but conceptually, what does that do? What Mm -hmm. is the point of that? Uh, that lick. Where can you play it? So, like for me, it's like even when I do like my my videos on my site, it's always about the musical application. Even if the lick is like hard or whatever, it's like okay, it's even though it's difficult. Here's one way you can apply it in this mm-hmm. kind of music, in this tempo. What else can we do with this? Oh, we can change the subdivision. We can displace it. We can change the accent this way. We can change the sticking. Notice how the sticking changes the nuance of the phrase, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But guys are just going for like that one punchline and that's it, right. you know? So um, And then it's like, here's that that fill that you could just pick up and, and drop into every song. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and then it's like, all right. Then there's – after that, it's just like, all right, you got this one thing. But nobody tells you like, okay, check out these players. Look, right. Dennis, Dennis Chambers kind of does this. He used to do this with John Schofield back in the day or whatever. And there's at least there's a reference. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's just like, here's a lick. Thanks for coming. I'll see you next week. And right. it's like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. like that's not education. I mean, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. But uh, there's, there's more to that. 
you know like right it's there the, it's the understanding and the and the practical application of of it and if i i think that if you don't if you don't bridge that gap then people just take the lick or the chop or the groove or whatever it is and like i said they just take it they're like oh i played it in song three and now we're playing song five let me do that that thing again and let yeah. me play that crazy fill that i know because it's cool and you know what i think part of it is on the educator's side for not explaining it and the other side of it is like maybe the drummer just doesn't know like when yeah. I was 16, 17, like I didn't know that it wasn't cool to do like all these fills in every tune or like yeah. on every met in every measure. I didn't know that. I was like, man, I'm playing drums. I don't know. Check yeah. me out. I'm, I'm, I'm a badass. Like everybody look at me. I want make I, I, sure that you, did you see my chops? Have you seen this thing? You know, it's like, yeah, man, but you don't know I, what you don't know unless, you know, until you know it. But then I think there's another factor to it too, because Nowadays, the attention spans are so short that if you try to go into that all that historical evidence and all that, I don't think a person will watch a, a let's say a more than a seven minute video nowadays, you know, or five yeah. minutes, yeah. just because like social media has like has got like in Instagram, like we had fifteen seconds to do whatever it is that you needed to do. And within that 15 seconds, if you didn't get it down, people were just like, ah, this is corny. Right. Or I didn't get anything out of it. Now with the minute like update, it's like, like how many people actually watch the minute video of you like shredding for a minute? You know what I'm right, saying? Right. So it's like now it's like, okay, so if I put a video on YouTube, why would I put out a 15 minute video that maybe three people out of the thousands of people that viewed it? probably saw the whole thing sure you know and i think so here's the thing though i and i don't want i don't want everybody to think that we're sitting here you know poo-pooing on the current situation of of drummers that are out there because i think right now the the enthusiasm and community behind drumming is bigger than it's ever been Heck but yeah. but i think that what we're both trying to say is there's more out there than just the surface level stuff. And we want you to dive deeper into it. I remember the first time I ever saw Steve Jordan's, the groove is here. Right. Ooh. And check this out though. So check this out. I was young when I first saw it and he was playing, he was like, this is a, uh, the first thing I saw was him saying, this is me playing on this Sheryl Crow record. Right. This is a yeah. groove that I played on the Sheryl Crow record. And I'm, I, like I can't even believe that I'm gonna put this on record and say it. I watched it and was like, "Eh, I can do that. I don't get it. That's lame, right?" Yeah. Now I watch that and I'm like, "Oh my god! I wish I could play that." You know, you know, it's, it's and it's like a total different mindset of like realizing, "Oh, okay, yeah. there's a lot more going on here than just like kick snare hi hat and yeah, just like sure. yeah, like can you play the pattern?" Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then like, and it, and it got so deep, sorry, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but got so deep involved in things that like, I would listen to, there's a section in, um, in Herbie Hancock's record, uh, in Headhunters, the where Harvey Mason plays this thing between his hands and his feet and all it is, he goes, did it, did it, did it, about. that's it. I, that's like the biggest thing that he does in the whole. And I would literally like rewind it and listen to it again, rewind it and listen to it again. Cause it was such, it was so tasteful and so minute that like you would totally miss it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you can go as deep as you want with this stuff. 
For sure. And I had a similar experience, like watching the uh, Modern German 2000 when Vinny was on it. So I didn't know who Vinny was. I was like 17, 18. And I'm like, what's the hype around this guy, right? Because I'm listening to him and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, oh my God, he's off. Little did I know he was doing like all this displacement stuff, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> and then I was like, once he started studying Vinny, I'm like, and he's like my favorite drummer now. I'm like, yeah, I know, me oh too. my God, look at this. <laughs> I'm like, how dumb was I when I was, or naive was I when I was 17, 18? So and that's exactly how I was, man. Yeah, man. So we're, we're, I'm not, I'm not bashing anything as far as education or anything like that. I just think people just need to, to go deeper into the stuff. That's mm-hmm. all. Yeah. That's all we're trying to say here. Yep. Um, because I think education is at a good point. Like before, it wasn't even existence to an extent. You had a couple of educators, but now it's like. The popular thing, I guess, to do on uh, on YouTube if you're a drummer. Do you know how many drum lessons I teach online? How many, man? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. And it's it's hard to do. It's it's not easy. You want to say the right things. There's always uh, somebody has a negative comment right. uh, all the time. So yep. hey, I still get I still get I, I get pushback. Yeah, know, don't you, worry. You know, you you learn to to grow thick skin. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it happened to me a lot, too, after I won the drum off, too, you know, like people was just, it was, I was reading these nasty comments on YouTube. I'm like, oh my God, what did I do to you? I'm not, I don't even know you, you know? And dude, I will, I will preface this with, I think that you are an amazing, talented drummer. And I already know that somebody was on there being like, you suck. Oh, Who yeah. is this guy? I can play better than him. Blah, like. I, and I just, I know it. That's nothing against you. That's oh, like, that's oh, just, yeah. that's the landscape of the internet. So like this whole thing of like, but the thing is, it's like putting yourself out there. Like, how are you going to achieve anything if you don't? Like, you got to be open to criticism. Yeah. You got to have that thick skin. And it's like, you know what, man? You do it then. Yeah, for, for sure, man. And, you know, you'll get comments like, oh, you're so fat. And I'm like, yeah, man, I know. I got to lose some weight for sure. <laughs> I, I totally, and it's motivation. But then it's just like, there's some stuff that you're just like, dude, it's not that serious. Like, right. all right, cool. You know, hey, it's, you're entitled to your opinion. It is what it is. So, But what makes it worth it is when you get the emails that are like, you changed my life. Or, oh, man. That's you changed super- my playing or you open up my mind or you help me get over like, I had somebody email me. It was like, you helped me get over a death in my family. And I was like, wow. And that's what it's about, man. Yeah. It's, it's all about, for me, it's all about sharing and just trying to impact somebody's life. Even if it's just one person, it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. Um, if I can have some sort of positive influence on somebody, then life is worth living at the end of the day. You know, Uh, Um, I'm with you, bro. I, I think that's the biggest thing, man. So congrats, man. I think, you you do a great job on this podcast for sure, man. Thank you. And I wasn't sure. I, I, I wasn't fishing for a compliment or no, anything. No, not like at that. all. I'm not just, at all. Just for for people, I think it's good for people to know that like yeah, we get haters. You know, like people, you put you can put anything out there. It doesn't matter. Like you go on a Vinny Cal Yuta video, and there's somebody on there that's like this guy sucks and he's the worst drum I've ever seen. Like it's just the nature of the beast. But like by and large, the comments that I get are positive and i'm sure that the by and large the comments that you get are positive but for anybody out there like don't be afraid to put up a youtube video or to do a podcast or to teach drum lessons like don't be afraid because you think like people are going to make fun of you or something like that they are they're going to so but like just get over that fear because that's other people's insecurity so don't even worry about it just go out there and do it man 
For sure, man. So I want to ask you, we, we sort of got away from it because we started getting pretty deep on diving into the things. And I guess to put a bow on that, just to say, like, once you dive deep into this stuff and you'll have like this awakening sort of and that I want everyone should have that experience as a drummer to like to hear Steve Gadd for the first time. You know what I mean? And, not like and, and listen to, you know, like not yeah. like hear him surface level, but like hear him for the first time. And you're like, feel him. yeah. Feel him. And you're just like, oh, that's, oh, okay. I, I saw Steve got a pace and I was like, eh. Oh. Now I'm like, come on. Why couldn't, why couldn't I see Steve Gadd now? Anyway, so the, but I wanted to ask the question about, uh, about musicality and making things musical. So your take, I have my take on it. I'd love to hear yours. Like, okay, I come up to you and I'm like, hey, man, I've been working. I got all my rudiments. I got all these fills. I got, like, I got my, my paddle flies and all this stuff is happening. Right. But, yeah. I sound like a robot behind the kit. Like, how can I make what, what? What good is this doing me? How can I actually make music out of this? Gotcha. I think the biggest thing that you can do is first of all start going into dynamics. Dynamics will help you shape things. Um, you can start drawing like little charts, like mountains or whatever, so that they can visually start seeing like the phrases and how everything uh, starts to flow. I would take like small like. I wouldn't take big chunks of information. I'd take like maybe like a four-bar phrase or maybe a two-bar phrase if you needed to go that route and just start drawing like little shapes and go, okay, li listen, when you approach this, think of this in shapes or you can think of it in colors. Like I've, I've read uh, in different periodicals where, you know, people see colors when they're playing. John Blackwell so, does. He was yes. telling me about it. It's called um... – there's, there's a, I'll look it up while, while you're talking so we can reference it, but it's, it's literally like a, it's a metal thing. I can't see colors when I play, Yeah. but there is, people can see colors. I guess you're one of those people too. Yeah. So it's just a matter of, of like finding what works for you. There's no, to me, there's no right or wrong. There's different approaches of how to do it. Like there's no wrong. Like for me, you can't tell me somebody holds a stick like super incorrectly versus somebody who holds the stick quote unquote correctly just because everyone's hands are different um and everyone's approach is different like like Vinny, like if you look at his traditional grip back in the day not even dave weckel back in the day he used to hold it really far back and were you gonna say hey dave dave you're holding the stick wrong yeah he's getting all these amazing you know phrases out so it's just a matter of approach and just thinking differently it's not about like all right, let me change the subdivision or anything like that. It's about, okay, let's make some contour. And then everything that you do, like anything that you're practicing, you should be practicing with music. Like I think right now everyone's so concerned about practicing with a click that it starts sounding robotic, you know, mm -hmm. as, a, as opposed to let me listen to music, especially music that didn't have clicks back in the day, like, like Earth, Wind & Fire stuff, you know, where er everything was like feeling amazing. And even if it rushed a little bit, it didn't matter because – it was within the context of the song. So I think you got to practice with music. If you do practice with a click, I always use a moving click. Um, so instead of everything always being on the downbeat, sometimes I move it to the E, sometimes I move it to the N, sometimes I move it to the uh. Also, I would do gap clicks. Um, just like to drop clicks. Yeah. yeah, drop clicks. Um, just to kind of to get your, your timing down, you know? Um, because what to me what musicality and groove is all about is understanding the space between the first note and the next note that you're getting to and how i can manipulate that space you know within that 
I know that you on the metronome you can program in drops, but you don't have one. You don't have a sliding one too, right? Uh no. You're just saying you're saying just from jump off point start on the one, then the e, then the n, then the uh. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. But there's there's one called Polynome that I hear is really good. The one that I use for for like to test my timing is called Time Guru. It looks like a yin yang sign, and what happens is it drops off the beat like randomly. Yeah, it like, just drops. Yeah. Yeah. And you can put the, the, the percentage as high as you want. Mm-hmm. So you'll get a click on, like, let's say on B2, and then you're waiting for, like, three measures for the next click. Right. You know, and that click could be on B4. You don't know where it is, you know, unless you're really internalizing everything. And then you put um, the put it on 40 beats a minute and put uh, the drop click on, and you're like, forget exactly. it. <laughs> and and that, that's another thing, too. Depending on your tempo, like, you can just put the click where the downbeat of the measure is just to kind of see where – where you fall in and how check your accuracy on, on the rhythm. Aspect. Well, that was, I, I actually talked about this on the latest podcast that Russ Miller taught me an exercise of putting, putting the click on whatever 60 beats a minute, or maybe even slower 40 beats a minute. And then every time it clicks using, using that as the two and four. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then just hitting just the snare and then like hitting on the on the beat a little behind a little in front and then adding different elements and then started adding patterns and and things like that that's a really really good exercise i and this is an exercise that you should do over months not it's not like 2 days and you're like all right I, i'm done i got it yeah yeah and then also i think you know the the obvious one is you got to play with other people you know mm-hmm. everyone's time is different so you have to be able to adjust that, you know, and go, okay, the bass player is a little bit laid back or the piano player is a little too forward. So I have to kind of make an adjustment and make this feel good at some point or another. Either the bass player is going to come with me or the pianist is going to come with me and everything is locked in. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I think it's a lot. Those, there's a lot of factors, but I think at the end of the day, you got to listen to music and you got to play with other people. I think we're, nowadays we're too isolated you know, we're too worried about our own thing versus what's going on around us. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say that I, if if I'm not playing or touring or you know just consistent gigs, I practice less because yeah. which is a weird thing, like it's a weird correlation. But I don't like practicing unless I know that it's it's getting to the music. So like if say you know for so last year uh 2015 I consciously was like all right no tours right I'm not going on the road I'm not like I'll pick up a gig here and there but I like I want to grow drummer's resource I don't want to go on the road I practice so probably the least amount of time I've ever practiced in my life because I wasn't seeing like the fruits of that practice Mm. because I wasn't getting to play it on stage that's the only reason I practice is because I want to play music like I don't give a shit about licks yeah. and chops and like i'm like all right i want to learn this stuff and then i want to see how i can make it musical on stage with a group of people so i wasn't playing a lot last year and i wasn't practicing as much either which is a weird correlation that i sort of realized like kind of closer to the end of the year i was like i don't like practicing just to practice mm, i like gotcha. practicing and seeing the seeing the fruits of that labor on stage i feel you man and i think a lot of it too though is is you have to record yourself so that you can see the progress, because um, if we once you don't document it, then you kind of think you suck all the time. You know, you're like, oh, right. it's just, this is horrible, blah blah blah. But versus if you have like a practice log or like a video log, and you go, all right, I'm gonna check out what I've been doing for the last three months. Let me start from day one, 
to what it is now. And then you start seeing like, oh man, I really did progress. Right. And, you know, and that keeps you motivated. It's kind of like like going to the gym, right? You go to the gym for like a couple of months, but you don't use the scale. And then all of a sudden you check the scale and you're like, oh man, I'm down 15 pounds. Right. You know, it just keeps you motivated. So you need you need that to kind of keep you motivated in the practice regime. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, man, like you said, you, you want to be able to play this stuff on a gig. Like, like you don't want to just have all this knowledge and not be able to use it, you know? Right. Right. I remember Benny Greb said that same thing about, you know, recording your, your progress. And, I, and just keep it for yourself. Like 90% of the people out there have an iPhone, so it's really easy to record yourself. It doesn't have to be like some high, high quality production. Just record yourself. And then, but he was saying, if you show yourself progress, then needing motivation becomes a non-issue. Yeah. Because you just watch the video and you're like, oh, like you said, wow, I am getting better. Oh, yeah. okay. I don't suck as bad as I thought I did. Okay, cool. I'll keep doing this. And it's funny because I, I was talking to Chris Coleman, right? Mm-hmm. This is like a couple months ago. And I'm like, I'm like, Chris, what's the question that you get asked the most? He's like, what do I practice? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm with you on that. You know, I get that question all the time. He's like, I'm like, what's your response though? He said, if you don't know what to practice, that means you don't want it bad enough. And I thought about that. I'm like, he's absolutely right. right. Because if you, th- if you think about it, right? Let's say you are stuck in a rut. What you do is you find like your go-to, let's say it's a lick, right? You find your go-to fill and you go, okay, what can I do with this go-to fill? If you really want it bad enough, you'll go, okay, I'm going to change the sticking. I'm going to put a, a 16th note rest here. I'm going to displace this. You know what? I'm going to change the subdivision. Um, I'm going to add accents here and there. And all of a sudden, once you do all that, now you have so many ideas based off of that one idea. As And... If you do that, let's say you have five go-to licks. If you do that with five go-to licks, come on. You have months of material that you can practice right mm-hmm. then and there. Yep. So I kind of agree with Chris. You know, like if, if you're like asking yourself, what should I practice? Like you have to think about it before anything. Go, man, how bad do I want this thing? Because I'll figure it out eventually, you know? I got an email yesterday. It was like, I, I always run out of things to practice. Is there any advice? And I was like... Uh, where do you want me to start? <laughs> it's just too much, man. It's there's a lot, and and if you really do need something in practice, just go on YouTube and and I don't know, just do a search, and you'll find something that somebody's doing. You're like, holy cow, that's amazing. Right. Yeah, find something you can't do and play that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's take a quick pause for the cause, and we'll be back at it with Juan Carlito Mendoza. As you know, I've been playing DW for years and my eyes are starting to wander a little bit because I the last couple times I've been out there, I've been eyeing up some of the new Gretsch kits and man, they are beautiful. And now that they're in the same family as DW, I sort of feel like it's okay to to get a Gretsch kit as well. But you should definitely check out the new Gretsch.com. And my friend Anna is the one who just redesigned the whole entire thing. It looks beautiful. And there's just some amazing kits on there that you should check out. So head over to Gretsch.com and get you some drum porn over there. For all of you teachers out there, you should check out the Sabian Education Network. It's designed to help teachers get more students and keep them longer, bring the latest technology into your studio, increase your profitability, deal with unique situations such as special needs students, get new ideas for curriculum, and share teaching methods. The best part is it's 100% free. You can check it out at sabian.com forward slash join S-E-N. Now, 
Promark has been a sponsor of the podcast before, and I'm happy to announce that they're back sponsoring the podcast once again. And they just released a new Mike Portnor signature stick that you should check out that has the active grip technology that actually heats up when you're playing it and it gets tacky in your hand so you, it's not going to slip out of your hand to give you ultimate control. For more information on the new Mike Portnoy stick, check out Promark.com. Now let's get back into it with Juan Carlito Mendoza. A question about practice that, that I really love to ask is not necessarily what to practice, but how to practice. Mm. Because every single person that I talk to has a different, not every single person, but a lot, most people have a different way of practicing. So I like to ask everybody because I want the listeners to be able to say, you know what? I like Juan's approach with this. And, you know, I like John's approach with this. And so I'm going to sort of make my own because I don't think. I don't think there's a one size fits all for practice. So what's your no. what's your approach and advice of not what to practice, but how to practice, how to structure okay. that practice time? That's great, man. Like you said, there's no right, there's no one way of doing things. So for me, what I normally do is this. Back in the day, I used to take too many things into the practice room. Now what I do is let's say because I'm limited on time. I'm married. I have a house now. You know, I, I have my middle school job that I teach. I'm a professor. Um, all this craziness. Now I go, okay, I only have two hours to practice. What can I practice? So I go, okay, I'm going to work on, let's say, flam accents. So I work on the flam accent on one surface and I get it on one surface. And then what I do is I manipulate everything. So I go, all right, I have the accent on the first partial, accent on the second partial, accent on the third partial. Cool. I did that. Now let me change the subdivision. Great. I go through everything like Eight, 16s, triplets, fives, sixes, sevens. And that's all on one surface at, at this point. Once I get comfortable with all that, I take all that material and do it again, but then I move the click. So instead of everything always being on the downbeat, I go to the E. I do it again, go through the whole process, go on the and, do it again. I go to the up. Uh. Then I'll start using uh, the drop clicks so I can test my timing. So right there, within that time, that's at least half hour, 45 minutes of just doing that. Once I do that, then I go, okay, I can play all that on one surface, but can I play with music? So then what I do is I find songs that are in the BPMs that I'm comfortable in with the material that I have so that I can actually start grooving to this stuff as opposed to like it being like the super technical thing. Once I do that, then I can go to the drum set. And I start using what I call creative practicing, meaning this. At, if, if you're taking lessons, let's say at a, at a, at a, at a whatever, a local shop, your practice session should always have a creative aspect to it. Like it should not be, this is what it is, come back with this, and that's it. You should be going above and beyond that and go, hey, like for me, the best is when I get students coming to me after I after uh, a week and they're going, all right, here, I came up with this, mister, check this out. And I'm like, whoa, that's rad. I didn't even think about that. So then what happens is now there's a dialogue and there's, there's a dialogue between teacher and student as opposed to always, always teacher, 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 teacher. Like it should be teacher and student led at the same time, at least for me. That, to me, I found that more effective. And yeah, then, I mean, I've learned – from I've learned from students that I was teaching, you know, numerous times. Like, oh wow, I didn't like you said. Oh, I didn't think about that. Or oh, that's yeah, a cool, why would you think of it that way? I know, oh, that's awesome. You know, exactly. And and that to me keeps the the, the student motivated. 
So then once I get through that aspect, then I start going. And that would probably be like a day, like the first day, like Monday. That's what I would do. Tuesday, what I would do is um, I would try to start applying this stuff on the drum set. But I would warm up with the stuff I learned the day before to reinforce it. So get drum set, same thing. Go through all those steps and say, all right, um, just take it easy and go, all right, I'm just going to split it between the hi-hat and the snare drum. I want to hear what the melody is between the hi-hat and the snare drum. And the good thing is that you can diagnose what the independence pattern is because you're splitting those hands uh, mm -hmm. apart, which is really cool because some of these rudiments tend to, to lead into like groove-based things. So you can go, okay, I'm just going to play a flam action. The right hand's going da 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 Left hand's going da 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 And when I put it all together, I can put a groove together. So I can go like So then I can start going, all right, I'm going to work on shuffles now. But I'm going to play every the flam accent just to reinforce the flam accent. So now I'm reinforcing the flam accent. I'm learning, I'm working on independence and I'm working on musicality at the same time. Mm -hmm. So all this stuff is related. That, at least that's the way I practice. So then I go, okay, I go through all those shuffles and then I go again with my, my metronome. I, go, I displace the metronome, make sure that I can go through all that. And then once I'm comfortable with that, then I go, okay, at the end of my practice session, I'm going to use the flam accent as a fill. Okay? Find different variations movements etc cetera, etc cetera. but my main focus is that it's all about the flam accent at that point you know like but people think that i'm working on different things but i'm not i'm just reinforcing the flam accent and mm -hmm. trying to get it to flow as opposed to you know here's one way of doing it and that's it and i'm gonna go to the next rudiment or flam tap whatever you know it's like yeah the pad is great but start transferring that stuff over to the drum set and see the possibilities, you know? And that, to me, that forces me to think outside the box as opposed to just, all right, this is what it is. This is what the book said. Now I'm going to go on to the next thing, you know? Right. Like, okay, I can play that. Let me move on. Exactly. Right. And, and I think then practicing to me becomes a process as opposed to something that I have to do, mm -hmm. you know? So you're sort and of then, working through something like you're on this journey rather than, oh, okay, I got to go put 20 minutes in to do this thing. Exactly. And then, you know, it's, it's like, like tools, right? I can buy all these tools, but if I don't know how to use them or what the purpose of that tool is, what's the point of having those tools? <laughs> you know, so that, that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like, okay, like go through each rudiment, but go thoroughly into it so that when you need to use it, you know how to use it and when to use it. So and that all that comes into like once you could do that, then you can use it in a musical context, which we were talking about before is how do you develop musicality? It's like, you know, this rudiment leads into this kind of feel. This rudiment stiffer than, let's say, a flan tap, et cetera, et cetera. You know, mm -hmm. but but then when you actually apply, you're not really thinking of the flam accent as a rudiment. You're just thinking of it as a phrase, you know? Sure, sure. So to me, that's that's how I would practice. And then I would document everything, you know, and just. Like, as soon as I have an idea, I'll record it. Even if I get back to it and transcribe it later just to see what it was, mm -hmm. it's fine. But at least you have the idea and go, okay, I have it documented. I'll get back to that and you just keep along with your practice session. Right. And then you use that idea that you had, um, that you recorded, and you use that and you create a practice at the end of the day. And you go, okay, cool. Right. I listen to that. All right, now how can I shape this? How can I make this different? So mm -hmm. that's how I practice, man. I like it. So I like it. I definitely do. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk 
about I mean you've had you've had some great success in your career but everybody sort of has failures and and struggles and things like that. So what are what's one thing or or some things that that you struggled with and and or things that you've overcome that you can sort of shed some light on for maybe some other people who are going through the same thing. Okay. Uh in drumming, I would say I struggled with independence for a while. And then uh, I saw a video of Horacio Hernandez playing and I was like I want to get into the Elefa Clave. So it's funny because I get a lot of questions on that stuff now. And uh, I failed at it, man. And, um, and what's funny is this. And I tell all my students, even middle school students, whatever they're learning, I'm like, listen, failure will always lead to success. doesn't matter what it is. You're going to fail. If you're learning, let's say, the new PS4, PS5 system that hasn't even come out and you're, you have a new control, you have to learn that control. You have to learn the game. You have to know where not to go, where not to go. Uh, and you're going to fail. You're not going to beat the game in a day. It's impossible. So for me, it was independence. I was failing all the time. It's like I started with jazz independence, which was, which was pretty good. But then when you started, when I started getting into left foot clave, it was like my left foot never moved like that ever. So the main thing is just to say consistent. You have to do it consistent. Um, if I take a day off of practice, I always practice the next day after that. Because if I take two or three days off, what my muscle memory won't kick in because I didn't reinforce it mm -hmm. enough. Um, so that's what I would do with that. Um, and just stay persistent. You got to be hard headed um, when you're working on a goal. Like you got to you got to just persevere and say, you know what, I don't have it now, but I'm gonna get it eventually. Right. And you you have to you have to trick your mind into doing things. So even if, for instance, like getting back to like let's say the flam accent, right? Even if you're playing that at 60 BPMs on Monday and you play it at 61 BPMs on Tuesday, to me, that's progress. It is and progress, you have, yeah. You have to think of it that way. You know, you have to trick your mind into doing like, okay, I, I may not have gotten a lot faster, but I progressed, you mm -hmm. know? So that keeps you motivated. Um, I think also practicing with other people is a big deal. It, it helps you out. So like if you're practicing, like for instance, if you and I were practicing the same thing, and like if Nick was kicking my butt, I'd be like, man, I got to beat Nick somehow, you know, mm -hmm. or I got to I got to stay up to par with Nick, you know. Um, so if if that's what you need, then do that. Find a find a practice buddy. That's that's always a big deal. It's like um, going to the gym with someone who's stronger than you. Oh, yeah, exactly. You're like, man, I can't lift that, but I'm going to try to push a little bit more, mm -hmm. you know, and then it just keeps you motivated, you know. And um, so I would always say persevere, always push through. Be accountable for it. Even if you fail, it's okay because eventually you will succeed. And then also keep everything documented. Like don't worry about like trying to play 200 BPMs at one day versus and at the, the day before you only played at like 100. Like you're not going to get – some days you can't do that. Don't get me wrong. There's some days where you're just smoking this stuff and you're like, man, this is great. And the next day you think you're going to do the same thing and all of a sudden you get humbled back and you're like, oh, yeah. this, this did not work <laughs> out. So, and that's okay. You're going to fail. So, um, I would say always, 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 always keep positive people around you too. That's a big deal. Um, you're always going to have somebody that's going to try to put you down. Mm -hmm. But as long as you have a positive circle and guys that are going, man, just, just keep pushing. You'll be fine. I was at that point you know, one day and then surround yourself with people that are better than you so that they can at least help you out and go, this is what I did to get through that period of time. Right. 
you know, or mm-hmm. that threshold. Yeah. You're, so, you are the average of the five people you spend the most amount of time with. So there you go. Yeah. So what do you have on the horizon, man? I know that you're, you're working on a new site and, uh, and what else is going on? What do you got happening? So the new, I had to, I had to get the new site happening because something happened. Uh, it kind of crashed a little bit. So, but we had to get that done regardless. So the new site's coming out. I have drum camps happening all summer long. So I have one in, uh, at the end of June in Boston, then I go to Europe for like a European tour. So I go, uh, I'm going to Sweden to teach a camp, a drum camp. Then from there I go to the UK. Um, and then I take one day to go to, to Germany so I can hang out at Meinl so I can check out the factory. Nice. And then, uh, then I finish off the tour in Spain. And then after that, I go to Houston and give another drum camp. So that's my whole month of July. Like, Sweet. Just, just traveling and just teaching the whole time. Um, and then after that, I'm going to be finishing my EP with my trio band. Um, so that should be out. Hopefully, I'm hoping by the end of the year. Um, and the guitarist is from, uh, he plays with Richard Bona. And the bass player plays with Wyclef. And uh, they're, they're both killing. One, the bass player is from uh, Madagascar. And the guitarist is from Brazil. So it's like um, like this eclectic thing, man. It's really organic and really crazy stuff, man. Also, you have to let me know when it comes out, man. I'd be interested to hear it. For sure. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then going back to teaching at the middle school, because I teach five through eight. I'm a band director. So start that all up again. And then teach at the university, at New Jersey City University. Um, and then I'm working on, on a couple things as well. Some software stuff that I can't really talk about too much right now because it's still in development, but, um, but that's, what's going on and just teaching crazy amounts of lessons. Um, I'm not really doing the tour stuff. Um, I've been in the school district for 12 years already, so I have a good pension and, uh, I got great benefits and all that. So. I think if I go on tour, I lose out on too much, you know, mm-hmm. as far as, as far as like, you know, my benefits and all that stuff. So I think that everybody has to do what's right for them. You know, it's, it's, I, you know, people are like, Oh, I want to be on the road. And it's like, well, I don't know if it's not for you, then don't go on the road. You know? Yeah, man. It's, it's not for everybody. And it's not the glamorous life that everybody thinks it is. No, you know? it is not. Um, I think that's a misconception that, that people need to, to understand. It's like, like being a tour musician is dope. Don't get me wrong, but it's not for everybody. You know, if you if you're not able to get up at four in the morning to catch a flight, I wouldn't do it. Right. If you're not able to, to to just get up in general and not have somebody call you to be at the lobby at a certain time, this is not for you. Um, you know, you have to evaluate what your strengths are and what it is that you really want to do. You know, and then once you start getting older, and I don't have a kid yet, so. When I have a child, I can't imagine how tough it is for for the touring musicians. You know, yep. like they're away for the kids for like three months, maybe a year, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's tough. You know, it's it's just a matter of are you ready for that that kind of grind? But then there's the other grind. Like right now, I grind harder when I'm home because it's it's like okay, I got videos to do for my website. Um, I have content to write for my site. I have content to write for drum camps. I have to do clinics. I have to do master classes, and that's what I always wanted to do. I was I always wanted to be an educator. Like I went to school for music education. I had my bachelor's and master's in music education. Like this is what I love to do. So it wasn't a, like. And here's the thing: 
I didn't just want to be an educator. Like I wanted to be an educator that can play. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of educators that can like, you know, talk and all that stuff, but they can't demonstrate the things that they're talking about. Right. So, you know, it's just, it's, there's a balance. So, um, so what I would say is just make sure that whatever you choose, make sure that you love, you absolutely love what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love what I'm doing right now. I get paid to teach music every single day of my life. And that's why sometimes I don't even listen to music because I'm surrounded by music every day. So like I'll go mow my lawn and listen to podcasts, you know? It's I do this. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't listen. To, well, I, I shouldn't say I don't listen to a lot of music, but like a lot of times I'm listening to a podcast or and I have other interests. Like I love, you know, I love business and things like that. So I listen, like I'll listen to some Harvard business review stuff or yeah. whatever. So yeah, I get it, man. I get it. You need to do that. And sometimes, and when everybody says you got to practice every day, to me, I think that's false. You need your days away from the instrument because what happens is sometimes you become stale and stagnant because you overthink this whole thing as opposed to like, okay, like when I go on vacation, I take like a week off and when I get back, it's like I had all these ideas in my brain and I couldn't get them out on the drum set because I didn't have access to a drum set. And then when I finally get to the drum set, I was, I'm able to do things that, that are fresh and new to me. And stuff that I would have never even thought about if I didn't take that break. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you stepping wanna... away once in a while is nice, man. Yeah, man, you got you can't overburn yourself. Um, I think it's easier. It's easier to do things consistently and every day when you're when you're a kid, you know, when you're mm -hmm. in high school or whatever, when you don't have that many responsibilities, you know. I think life life can definitely take a toll on you if if you just just keep working and working and working and never take a break, you know? Mm -hmm. You should have fun for sure. Yeah, like man. all this all this should be fun at the end of the day. If you and if you're not having fun, you you're not doing it right. You know. Boom. There that's the mic drop moment right there. <laughs> that was it. That's the perfect place to stop. That's it. <laughs> I wish you had a mic. I was on a plane one time and I said something like this smart ass comment to my buddy Dave. And I looked, he was sitting next to me on the plane and I looked over and I pulled a microphone out of my bag and just dropped it in the middle of the aisle. He was like, where the hell did you get a microphone? The, it was because I was going on the road. And I was bringing it with me because I had to do podcasts. So I had this old, like this old uh, USB ATR 2100 microphone and I just like dropped it in the middle of the plane. That's classic. He was like, what the hell? I was like, man, I wish I had that on video. <laughs> Uh, so if, so if people want to get in touch with you and study with you and cause you teach, do you teach privately too? Oh yeah. I, yeah. I teach a lot. Of I figured you lessons. did. I don't even, that was a dumb question. Uh, so what's the best way for people to interact with you, get in touch with you, find out what you're doing, keep up to date with what you got going on. Sure. Uh, Instagram is always a good one. Uh, so my Instagram is my name, Juan Carlito Mendoza. Um, I don't use Twitter too much. I think Twitter is for like really popular people. So <laughs> I better get off of it right now. <laughs> I just canceled my Twitter. Hold on. <laughs> and then I do have a Twitter though. So if you want to get in contact with me via Twitter, it's Carlito, C-A-R-L-I-T-O underscore Dozer, D-O-Z-E-R. And then my Facebook artist page, facebook.com and then slash Juan Carlito Mendoza. And I always get back to everybody, even if it takes me a couple of days. Um, I've never wanted to be that quote unquote superstar that never got back to anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, just drop me a message there or you can uh, drop me an email at juancarlitomendoza at gmail.com and then we'll make it happen. Um, yeah, I do, I do stuff via Skype. I do stuff one-on-one. Um, -on -one. So I accommodate everything to, to all the students and they get custom 
PDF files so that it's not just like this regurgitated information. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's important. You got to personalize the, the, the content mm-hmm. per uh, student. I dig it, man. So. I dig it. And he's a man of his word. If you get in touch with him, he'll get back to you. He got back to me about doing this podcast. So uh, I want to I want to thank you for everything that you're doing for all the great information that you're you're putting out there. I want to acknowledge you for that and for all of the up and coming drummers that that you are that you are teaching and shaping to make this whole drumming community better, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for for being on the podcast, man. It was great to have you. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And if you guys need anything, just contact me and I'll definitely get back to you guys, man. Awesome. Carlito, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. All right, for sure, man. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. So there you have it, Juan Carlito Mendoza. I hope that you enjoyed that. I hope you got a lot of information. I hope you got some nuggets. And if you do enjoy this podcast and you haven't already, do me a favor and leave a rating or review on iTunes. It takes one minute. I've done 178 of these episodes. They take hours and hours to produce. I'm giving them away for free. This is me guilting you in to leaving a review. It'll take you one minute and it won't cost you a dime. So I'm going to leave it on you. I'm going to let the guilt sit on your shoulders. I'm going to let you feel bad about yourself because you, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I would really appreciate a review on iTunes, an honest one. And uh, yeah, that's about it. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.